Guys, I drank two cups of coffee before this. Oh, really? I blame Rocco. I blame Rocco. Do it. Okay. So, wait on Joe. We're going to start recording at 7:50. Wait on Joe. <laughs> Take your time, Joe. So... Take your time. <laughs> Kermit the Frog reporting live for your pleasure. Hmm. We have all night, don't worry. Yeah. Nobody needs sleep around here, Joe. We have all night. We're going to get it Look, right into you, the rainbow. You blame connection. me for everything else. You can't blame me for your lack of sleep and your work schedule. I'll find a way. Yeah. The lack of sleep, I think we can do. Coming up in this episode, we'll network with Joe. We'll deep dive into Fedora 32. We'll hit your feedback and we'll focus on Bitwarden. Hey, welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Leo. I'm Dan. I'm Rocco. And I'm Joe. What have we been up to this week? Well, I've been replacing my home network. Ooh. What'd you do? I've been playing around with this uh, Ubiquity Dream Machine Pro, and it was a dream to set up. That sounds nice. Yeah, piece of cake, man. Like, literally, pop the box, plug it in. And connect the WAN port and go to town. What does this offer you that you didn't have before? Nothing. I just like to play <laughs> with all the new things. <laughs> that sounds no, fantastic. No. I just, I just, I, that's fantastic. I, I, I was it. gonna do this or just like start a pile of money burning, and I'm like, yeah, I want to play with that. So, um, it's it's cool in the fact that it's got a hard drive built in. It's got your cloud controller built in. It's got your security gateway built in. So it's all one box, uh, as Leah liked to point out last week. Oh, one single point of failure. All your eggs, <laughs> one basket. There you go. Yeah, I'm throwing all the eggs in one basket. But um, it's nice. You can install. I had installed their uh, Unify security stuff. So I, I threw up a couple of cameras, their G3 Pro cameras, which really nice, easy to set up. And uh, I had been needing to uh, do some rewiring. So I had run some Cat5 and all that. So I was up in the attic. So you did the whole night. Weekend. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It's only one way to do it. It was 92 degrees. And <laughs> that's a perfect time for the attic. Absolutely. So it was probably a, 192 degrees in the attic. Yeah, but, uh, I bet. But yeah, yeah. Pulled some Cat5 throughout the house. I wanted to get off the Wi-Fi. Um, I had been doing some Wi-Fi cameras and stuff, but I uh, wanted to get off of that. And yeah, just... Man, works good. The motion detection works great, which my wife loves because she just wants something to beep at her when nobody comes by our house. Nobody comes <laughs> by. But you know what I mean. Like she, in case somebody comes just by. Just in case. She wants to know that uh, she's safe. So so is that all configured by the, uh, the UNMS dashboard yeah. thing? Yep. Yep. You're in the dashboard. Actually, what's, I mean, even if you want to do it through the app on your phone, you can, it, it Bluetooths right to the controller. Oh, the really? To the Dream Machine and it, yeah, and and it's the new ones now have this little LCD on the, or LED 
on the front. So it even gives you a little bit of feedback as you're setting it up. And the phone just, it was, man, I'm telling you, we've got all, I've got ubiquity at the, the office, but the, the pro stuff's a little different. It's not quite as uh, user-friendly like that, like home. I, I feel like this dream machine, even though they try and position it for enterprise, I, I want to say it's small office to home. Yeah. Is really high, high end home user type. Yeah. Someone that's got some cash to burn. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely got to know a little bit about what you're doing. I think I, I wouldn't say like, it's not the same as grabbing a neck gear Nighthawk and setting it up, but for the most part, uh, it just it really went in, uh, created my networks, created a Wi-Fi network. I also got a couple of ubiquity, uh, WAPs, uh, in here, wireless access points. And yeah, just, I wanted to get Google home out of my home. So, uh, Good I had the Google Wi-Fi, so I got rid of that and it's been running great. So I got into this because I loved it at the enterprise level. I do love it at, for my office. I really like ubiquity stuff. So I figured I'd give it a shot at the house and I highly recommend it. I'm, I'm almost there with you. I've got a couple of Unify access points around the house, but I didn't go full on with the, the gateway thing. I almost bought the USG, but ended up yeah. going with the Edge Router Pro. And it turns out I don't know if the USGs are like this. Do you know if you can drop down to a terminal in your uh, in mm-hmm. your dream thing? Yeah, you can SSH right into it. Is it Debian too? Oh, I don't know if it's Debian. When I SSH into my Edge Router Pro, you can do an uh, you can do a, a, a whatever the command is to get the release of your operating system, and it's Debian ten. Interesting, because I yes. know the switches are BusyBox. I think. Yes. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, and this is this is one thing I didn't know before I bought that Edge router, but as soon as I found it out, I was like, I liked it before. I love it now. So yeah. this is just something that if, if it ever broke, and it did break, it actually did, it would, it refused to upgrade because it told me I didn't have enough space to upgrade on the, on the onboard memory, but I looked down, looked on it. It had enough. I don't know what that was about, but drop down into the terminal, uh, look up a couple of the commands that are specific to the Edge router stuff. Bingo. Most of it was Linux stuff and then a couple of commands. So, I mean, yeah, they've really, they've really gotten my vote for that is super nice. stuff. I know. Just, mm, mm, I could not get away from it. It's Linux, man. So I gotta, I gotta, I gotta give them my money. I like it. And I tell you what was really slick was, so this, uh, the Dream Machine Pro does not come with a hard drive in it, um, which you would use for your camera, cameras if you want, if you're going to record. But I literally opened up I had a four terabyte old, I don't know, it's literally been sitting in the box. I don't know how long. And I opened that sucker up. I go, well, I'll pop it in, popped it in. It's like, hey, we got your hard drive. Let's go. It was, it did, I didn't have to even format. I didn't have to touch anything. It just did it. And I think the, I think it's got like a dual core processor running in there. Like it's, and it's quiet. It's not noisy. The only thing if I would, it comes with an eight port switch built into the front of it. I really wish that was a PoE switch. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the one thing I thought, because I still have to have a PoE switch for my cameras. So I have a little 8-port PoE switch just for the cameras, but that would have been nice. And for the, the WAPs, uh, for the wireless access points. You did say it was quiet, and so if you start delivering power to those devices, you're probably going to yeah. start generating some more heat. So sure. in a yeah. way, it makes sense, right? It it does, yeah. I mean, again... It, it does make sense. For all that it does, yeah. Yeah, for 350 bucks, I think. 
that's, that's not too bad. The the lowest tier USG bad. is like 150 bucks, so that's not bad. Yeah, that's what I mean. If you're just using it for your network, then it comes with the unified network stuff already built in, nice. the software. But if you're adding the security cameras, you go and you can actually, you install it. It's got a separate little spot where you install the different applications because they also have a, uh, it's in beta, but they also have a phone system yep. set up, I think. You can install that as well. And if you're doing um, key card access, there's a software for that. You can install that, but really slick. Ubiquity's doing some good things. Ease of use. No licensing. That's that's my favorite. That's what drove me to Ubiquity, by the way. Very nice. I'm spending a lot of money with Meraki at the business. Ooh, wait, wait, hold on. And the, the Meraki that will be like, oh, you forgot to pay your bill? Huh, your stuff's oh, not licensed anymore. It won't even boot. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> Can't connect to this network. Yeah. Oh boy. Yep. So I got uh, got them out of there, but we were paying a ton. I mm-hmm. got five offices and just anyways. So they're out of there. Ubiquity. I buy it. It's solid. It's not as good as Cisco, but it's good enough for what I need. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Well, we'll stop drooling about uh, Unify stuff, and we'll start talking about our distro. All right, gentlemen, this week we are using Fedora 32. What an amazing experience it's been. And I, I mean, trying to say that with a, with a straight face. So as we've done so far in the past, let's get into a little bit of history about Fedora and where it came from and a little path, how it's gotten where it is. So the Fedora project was started around 2002 by a gentleman named Warren Tagami from the University of Hawaii. Started out as a computer science academic project to expand the availability of packages for Red Hat Linux through community development. So typically Red Hat Linux has been on the enterprise level. This was to expand the software, but homegrown, right? With the community as we've seen Linux do over the years. In 2003, Red Hat decides to split Red Hat Linux into Red Hat Enterprise Linux, and they absorb the Fedora project. Not a bad idea, because it's already been started and it's public facing, and it's got a little bit of a following. And later that year, we, we have Fedora Core 1 is released in November 2003. So I was a user of Red Hat 9, because it was probably one of the easier distributions to use at the time. And uh, they had announced that they were going to roll into Fedora Core 1, and I was a little nervous, honestly, about what that meant for the project and what that meant for the distro and where that was going to go. But the transition was very smooth, honestly, and it just rolled right from one to the other. And I still had my backup plan because at the time it was a dual boot machine, so I was running Windows XP. So I felt somewhat comfortable with that. But I did enjoy it, and I even kept it around for a little while. So it, it was it was good to me at the time. And fast forward a little bit, uh, I first encountered Fedora Core 6 at college when I was uh, doing my sysadmin program. And this is what we learned. I mean, this is what we learned Linux on. It was uh, Samba shares and networking and NFS and all of that kind of fun stuff. And yeah, I, I, 
I thought it was actually really good. But, you know, I hadn't had a huge exposure outside of some of the history that, that we talked about a few shows ago uh, to Linux other than some tinkering. So this was one of the stepping stones that got me really kind of hooked on all of this stuff. And yeah, now as a sysadmin, I like it even more. So this was started in 2002. The first release was Fedora Core in 2003. So did they not have a release up until that point? Like the project was started itself, but they didn't have a release until 2003? So it was started as a just a repository for community development programs. So I believe it was just gotcha. for the app. So they were just, it was a, an app re repository for software that was outside of RHEL. So that's new to me. So wait, that so Fedora yeah. was originally kind of like how RPM Fusion exists now. Or EPEL for... Oh, uh, right. Yeah. EPEL. Yeah, for, Red, for Red Hat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it definitely, it wasn't a distro. It was just, it was called the Fedora Project. So it was just right. a community project. All right, so we go fast forward to spring 2007, Fedora 7 releases, they drop the core, and they no longer differentiate between core and extras repo. So they had where you installed core, and then you went and installed the extras. You kind of see that in Arch a little bit, right? You, you go and uh, you install a DE, and then they have the extras, which are kind of the little baked things that come with that distro if you want them. We go forward a little bit further, winter, well, a little further, seven years later, winter 2014, Fedora 21 releases. And at this point, that is where they drop the code naming. So Fedora 20 had released and it was the Heisenbug. Do your research on Heisenbug. It's a nice little deep dive if you uh, want to find that Wikipedia page. But after that, they're going strictly with this standard naming convention, Fedora 21, 22, 23, et cetera. Now, Heisenberg, I think this is actually, you know, you say that now, and I, I couldn't remember at all why I was eyeballing Fedora at version 20, but it might actually have been this. And anyway, th this was just one of the times where I was distro hopping because this was when I wasn't comfortable yet with any particular distro. So I was just checking them all out. And I do remember landing on Fedora again for a little while and staying. And Fedora had that problem where, you know, nothing was installed by default. None of the codecs were there. I mean, they kind of still have that problem. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, this was also around the time where Linux Mint was coming and you had, you know, there were better distributions for if you just wanted to hit the ground running. But I do remember touching Fedora again around 20. So it was, it was, it was good, but it wasn't user-friendly good. Not yet. So with that 21 release, we also see this modularizing of Fedora. So they're starting to have these different uh, flavors or versions of Fedora for purpose-built, more purpose-built, right? You have the workstation, which refers to PC. You have server. And then you also have Atomic, which is for cloud computing. And not to mention Rawhide, which that in a name should tell you exactly what that is. Roll on. The developmental branch. It's their rolling release. Yeah, it's their rolling rhino. As on top of it, as Fedora does stay fairly like new packages every time they're they're out and, and new code base and all that stuff to be on Rawhide must be like, I mean, a, a, a step behind Arch, right? Uh, if at all. I mean, it's, yeah, if it's, at all, I've never used it, but it's like running from Git almost. Yeah, right. Fresh. Well, I think you forgot one piece uh, in that history, Joe. 
And I'm not surprised you forgot it because it's a little known fact that Dan knows about. Last year, it was on Biddle, on an after show of Biddle, actually, that we were all together and Alan Pope was there and he decides to download Fedora Core 1 and try to boot it up. So he boots Fedora Core 1 up and it actually boots up and he prints a test page on his printer from Fedora Core 1 and then jumps on IRC, jumps on in the Fedora IRC channel and starts chatting to the people in the channel saying he's on Fedora Core 1. I have a problem. What do I do? And they're like, uh, Dan, what, what were they saying? They're like, well, that hasn't been in support for a little while. I'm not <laughs> sure we're going to be able to help you with that. <laughs> wow. He did disclose that he did it kind of as a joke, and uh, they took it very well. So that's 15 years later, yeah. right? Is that, yep. Isn't that, that cool? sound right? Yeah. It was a it's funny awesome. experience, and but like I said, I don't think you're going to find that on a Google search. <laughs> nope. Definitely. They, they left that one off of Wikipedia. Right. Uh, I just, but I'm sure it's referenced. There's got to be a reference. It will be now. Yeah. Yeah. Throw that out there, guys. Um also, Rawhide, I, something I found interesting. Do you know when Rawhide started? Do you know when they started their no. Rawhide? I remember hearing an announcement and, or, or maybe more buzz about it in the community and on the various shows. But do you know when they actually started Rawhide? Anybody venture a guess? Nope. You got me. Nope. 1998. Wow, nice. When they started wow. Rawhide. So that has been the developmental piece for a long time. Long before Fedora Project, right? Long before... It went from Red Hat Linux to Red Hat Enterprise Linux. It was fairly out of the gate because even Red Hat, I think their first release was 94, 95, somewhere in there. So after a couple of years, Rawhide came into existence. So you need somewhere to test and that was it. Yeah, that's it. So that's the development branch. So now spring 2020 announcement. Project lead Matthew Miller announces Fedora Workstation shipping on ThinkPads in a partnership with Lenovo. Yep. yep. That is that was such a a great thing to hear and you're listening to him do interviews with like Jason Vangelo and you know other places on the internet. I think he was even on uh Linux Unplugged as well. But that was such an awesome thing to hear because it's one more step that we took to say hey, Linux is on another piece of hardware that you can buy right now. And really a big name Linux distro is on another piece of hardware. On a big name piece, piece of hardware. hardware. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So another interview I looked up, uh, Matthew Miller had done one since we're talking about him with Ars Technica. And I love the way he illustrated how Fedora interacts with RHEL and, and kind of the uh, symbiosis there. He says that Fedora is one of those few distributions, which is at the head of a river. To stretch the upstream-downstream analogy, in fact, I'm going to go ahead and keep stretching. The spring at the start of the river doesn't create water. That water comes from rains and snow melt and so on. Likewise, most of the software that goes in the Fedora distribution isn't written by the Fedora project, but rather in thousands of other projects like the Linux kernel, SystemD, Wayland Graphics Stack, Firefox, various compilers, and so on. So those are our upstream, and we collect and integrate them into the flow that is the Fedora distribution. So that was an interview he did with Ars Technica. 
And I thought that's interesting, right? Because we always think upstream, right? As maybe the base and things like that. But Fedora works, their viewpoint of it seems to be a little bit differently. Whereas the community is upstream, right? And then that trickles to Fedora. And then that trickles to the enterprise piece in Rail. What do you guys think about that statement? I love it. I mean, that's fantastic. That That is taking all of the hard work of everybody that puts in, you know, all their sweat into Linux software development and showcases it. I think that's a big point of why Fedora exists in the first place, because we were talking about it. And Fedora is just where all the new stuff hits first. Well, one of the places where all the new stuff hits first. And I mean, this is this is the proof that that is... That's where their mind's at. Well, we can list out the things that Fedora has been first in. Uh, they were one of the first to do System D. Yep. Uh, they were one of the first to go whole hog on Wayland. What version was that? Did we say 27? 27, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Pulse Audio. Pulse Audio was yeah, another Pulse one. Audio. Yeah. And do y'all remember when Pulse Audio came out? I can't remember the version of it. But if you would go... I think we'll have to go figure out what version this is so I can point someone to all of the uh, really horrible, horrible forum posts about how horrible Pulse Audio <laughs> is in the very first version of Fedora. It was bad. But, you know, I think it's it's good that you tread those waters because without Fedora having gone out there, we would have had way less testing and Pulse probably wouldn't have been where it is now because it's default in just about every distro that you can get your hands on now. And not everything that they do first goes out to every other distro. Like, for example, Wayland by default right. isn't default anywhere, I don't think, except Fedora. Yeah, maybe Debian. Is it really? I think so. Default? Maybe not. But I thought it was. Yeah, there's a lot of distros where you can choose it. I think even right. Ubuntu has... That is, yeah, very right? true. But but they won't just drop you in there like Fedora does. Fedora's like, hey, guess what, Wayland, go. <laughs> yeah. Guess where you're at. You don't know. We didn't even tell you. Exactly. You, you notice all that smoothness? Yeah, that's not X. So anybody want to guess when Pulse first shipped? I'm going to guess 22. I'm going to go 24. I'm just going to randomly pick 20. So the year was 2007. Wow. Wow. When we shipped Pulse Audio as default so that's fedora 7 yeah wow we were way off way off 2007 guys wow yep pulse audio is now enabled by default on fedora installs impressive that is impressive it is isn't that impressive that's way early days yeah it is nice that's uh that's a statement to make because that's not just impressive that's like a bold thing to do. Yeah, it's it's seeing yeah. where the ball's going to be before the ball even exists, you know? It's it's getting way out there in front. And I mean, they picked a winner. It's there. Well, that's what they're doing coming up in one yep. of the new releases with ButterFS as default. That's right. Which is, you know, highly controversial, uh, I guess you could say, but it is. they're doing it. Yeah. Well, open Susa tumbleweed. They uh, push uh, ButterFS as their default, right. so, yep. and they're having success with it, I think. So, I think Fedora can too. You say Novell? Novell? No, no, poor Novell. 
Oh, open Seuss. Open Seuss or Tumbleweed. Oh, you said oh, you wow. said Seuss, and I, I just I had flashbacks. That was part. That CNA. was part yeah. of my uh, my first <laughs> Linux experience as a sysadmin. I, I yeah. uh, admin some DNS servers that lived on Open Seuss, but the rest of our network was Windows and the Novell login. Mm. Yeah. Mm, Windows it. NT killed Novell. Ah, uh, yeah. Done. Networking by default. No mm-hmm. need for Nobel. Anyways, we're so, off topic. I'm, I'm really excited about the ButterFS thing, though. I mean, Seuss has been trying this out. And I think, you know, they get a lot of the same credit that, that Fedora does. Because these guys forge their own own path a lot of times. And with ButterFS, now it's starting to trickle over to more distros. And with Fedora, you're going to get, you know, people beating on ButterFS way more. And I think it is way more resilient than people give it credit for. I think a lot of times ButterFS gets a bad rap. Because it's a bit of a it's a bit of an oracle when you look at hard drive death. Because the way that ButterFS does its stuff, it'll it'll tell you. Like you'll know way early on that your hard drive is dying because you've got a bit flip here or there or something like that. And then, you know, it's like, hey, guess what? Your hard drive's dying. And then everybody gets mad about that. Ignorance is bliss. I think the early days of ButterFS were not so good either. And they weren't kind and people were potentially losing data and whatnot. So mm-hmm. it has come a long way. So it'll be interesting to see how much further it gets pushed with the uh, with the Fedora inclusion. Yep, that's everything. That's everything. We just got done talking about Pulse Audio. <laughs> I know, exactly. And think about this. I mean, if Fedora is upstream to rail, right? So they're looking at this as an enterprise solution long-term. So the fact that they have that much trust in it shows that uh, you know, besides the bad rap that ButterFS got in the early days of it, but it's it's probably come a long way. It just, we all have to cycle back around. But again, it's also the fact that they are willing to take that chance in Fedora to work on something that, you know, may not be perfect at the moment, just like Pulse Audio wasn't perfect, but they see that that's where it's going and that's where it's leading. Yeah. So... Very uh, kudos to them. I mean, they they are definitely pushing things and uh, integrating things way ahead of the curve, it seems like. All right. If we look at some of the basic details of the distro, um, Fedora, based on Red Hat, and the name Fedora is based on the hat of the same that is worn by the Shadow Man logo for Red Hat Linux. I miss you, Shadow Man. (laughs) Shadow Man. Base system, Fedora, right? So we've, past few weeks, we've talked about distros that are based off of somebody else, right? Based off Ubuntu or, wait, based off Ubuntu or, wait, based off of, yeah. So a lot of them are based off Ubuntu, (laughs) which is based off of Debian. Fedora is not based off of anybody. Wait, wait, in the history section, we said Fedora was based off the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not very. Fedora is based off the community. Very good. So um, desktop environments, so we like to say vanilla gnome. It goes a little further than that, Joe. Yeah, yeah. I say sugar-free vanilla gnome. Uh, gnome gnome with vanilla flavoring. Like, <laughs> I, I don't... Just a hint in the air of vanilla. It looks like a gnome. Hint of, yeah, yeah. Anyways, we'll get more on that later. Uh, available spins, though. KDE, LXQT, LXDE, Cinnamon, Mate, XFCE, SOAS, sugar on a stick. See, that's where the My sugar favorite. went. Yep. Yeah, that's where all the sugar went. They gave it to the kids, uh, which is a child-friendly interface. 
really neat looking at their labs. Have you guys, have you ever played with any of those, the no. labs? As you scroll down that, I, uh, yeah, I lose interest. It, well, it's on the next page. It's like on a different page, but it's got its own. I, I kind of want to try them out, but there's one based on astronomy, uh, neurocomputations. There's a design suite. There's games. There's Jam, which I know is, uh, isn't that the same guys that work on the Eric uh, Ubuntu Studio? Yep. Yep, Wait, what? Is. Hold on. Tell me about this. What? Eric Eichmeier also works on Fedora Jam. So Jam is Fedora's Ubuntu Studio. Correct. Pretty much. Oh. Yep. Hmm. This might be worth a try. Absolutely. I think see, it is. I, I should have gone to that second page. Yeah, see? You missed Or you out. should join Biddle more often than you Oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we had him on, didn't we? We did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yes, Fedora Jam. Uh, there's a Python focused one security labs and also one for robotics so what's also cool about all of those different spins so to speak is you can install those packages directly on your base fedora install so you don't have to go install the disk that by itself you can but you can also just install that set of packages on your existing install if you want to try it out so you can install jam on your uh, kde install if if, if i get rid of it i'm gonna do this before i do yeah. It's going to be Leo's new jam. Oh, it's my jam. So file manager based on the distribution, of course, that you choose. Package manager, RPM package manager with DNF as the dependency resolver. Um, I was I was impressed with this, actually. I was really anticipating just coming from a Deb, typical Ubuntu base or Arch, going in and going, oh, I don't know what to do, but it felt very at home. I don't know. Did you guys have that same feel? It didn't feel outlandish. Yeah, some of the packages were named a little differently, but uh, I found my way. Yeah, that that's what got me. Some of the packages were named differently, but I think a lot of times you can just swap out apt for DNF and it's probably going to be just fine. That's pretty much how I felt, yeah. User interf- interface, so if, again, depending on the distro, your GTK3, your Plasma, Systemd on those. Software manager. You know what's not in there? Synaptic. Because <laughs> there isn't one. <laughs> wow. They do have their own version, though. I found it. It's called DNF Dragora. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to try it. I couldn't find anything positive about it on the internet. <laughs> so, but you can install it. And it is kind of their version of Synaptic. But they said, it's no Synaptic. Which to me is like, oh, I really don't want to try it. Because Synaptic to me is... There was Discover, so I felt at home. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to go back to episode two to get the backstory on the whole Synaptic. Yes. Yes. Synaptic is our favorite, favorite software manager. Right? It's so beautiful. (laughs) Beautiful. Beautiful. Uh, Display manager. So again, GDM, KDM, LightDM, swap them around, whatever you want to do with them. Pick the DM. You got it. Go with it. Window manager, Wayland by default. Again, since Fedora 27, we're confident kind of sort of that they're one of the only ones doing this if there is somebody out there please let us know but uh by default that's their xorgs there as well especially if you uh aren't a animal and you want to use video cards hold on so um, what is what does this mean is this is this in reference to your nvidia thing you having issues with no no that's a whole nother animal oh no (laughs) but but wayland on wayland you can't uh use they don't have support for uh dedicated graphics 
Really? See, you now this. You gotta use Intel, ho- right? No, and, and, wait, 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 wait. No way. Because on Fedora 32 on my desktop, now this wasn't this most recent Fedora install, but I was gaming on Fedora 32 on my Radeon. Yeah, your Radeon, but not your NVIDIA. Radeon. Sorry, not for NVIDIA, though. Not NVIDIA. Yeah, sorry. Radeon, you're fine. Okay, okay. Radeon, you're fine. Because NVIDIA. I was. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. If you have NVIDIA, just run, run for the hills. You're just going to have to embrace this Linux thing, man. Just jump on the AMD train. You're going to have to. Well, I would, but I like frame rates, so. Oh. Dan's going to prove you all wrong soon. (laughs) I sure hope so. Leo, great point. Find me a Dell XPS comp with an AMD card in it. See, you got to get the ones that you can install stuff in. Find me any, find me any gaming PC, something that has an integrated, I mean, a dedicated graphics GPU, that's a laptop, that has an AMD anything in it. You can't find them. Eh, they're tough. You can't find them. Yeah, but yeah, okay, so in, in in my defense, I don't game on a laptop because my thing on a laptop is portability and battery life. Uh, yep. So that that lives on my desktop, and I pour the money into that. Right. But that's you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I will wave that flag every single time. My games run fine. Hey, and I was there, too. I was on uh, T-Series T for a long time uh, with no card, uh, just integrated graphics, and it was just my workhorse. But I feel like I've crawled out of the goo, and, and like I've, I'm seeing the light, and I'm going, hey, if I want to be somewhere and pop in a little no man's sky i can but to to amd's credit when kernel 5.8 drops which is actually today as of this recording guess what's supported the integrated amd graphics on a lot of those new chips that just came out and they are no dedicated card but they are still your uh, your AMD graphics that, that are going to give you way better than integrated. So there might be a middle ground there soon. Soon. There might be. Actually, is it the, the G series on the desktop? Um, the 5 series, the 2600G, 3200G, I think it is. I want to say yes. I want to say yes on that. And do you know what distro is going to be one of the first to be giving you kernel 5.8? Ubuntu? Fedora. <laughs> well, maybe Ubuntu. Well, I guess... You're right. F- Ubuntu in October, but I guarantee you that's right. Fedora's going to have it probably by the end of the month, if not sooner. They'll have it very fast. Oh, wait, fast, I know, I know what you meant to say, Arch. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, hey, man. That's what you meant to say. Listen, if Arch. you ever want to update one of those, it might just blow up on you. Send your hate mail to at Leo Chavez. Yes, please. <laughs> so now we're up to today's release, Fedora 32. Some new fancy things in there? Not so much. That's not their style. But... They did have all of the new GNOME goodness. And we talk about GNOME because that's kind of their flagship, right? It would is. You, would you agree with that? Yes. I think so, yes. GNOME is where they are developing on, or that's what they're releasing on. So all of the new goodies for 3.36. GNOME is where the heart is. GNOME is home. <laughs> and we covered all of those goodies. I will say... Because this is the sugar-free vanilla diet, low-carb keto version of GNOME, it doesn't have all of the goodies in it. It is missing a few things, like the extensions app, which if you're a GNOME user, that was great. That is a great thing. You can go install it, but it's not shipped. Not sure why, but 
I don't know. It's not there. Now, this doesn't bother me too much, but it's because of something that you said. If you're a GNOME user, so I, I don't, I didn't play with it much. I didn't, I didn't try and make it exactly the way that I wanted to. I tried to, I tried to do it GNOME's way and I couldn't, I mean, there, there were, there were some <laughs> things that I couldn't do. Like I, I need a minimize button. I just have to have it. So I got, I didn't put it in. I didn't actually put it on the window, but I got real familiar with the super key plus the H key, which does minimize. Yeah. What, what got me was that Firefox, when you don't have that top bar on there, there's no right click. You can't do anything yeah. with that. It's like customize. Yep. And I'm like, no, where's my stuff? This is why you need title bars. Leo. Yeah. And, and you're right. You're absolutely right. So yeah, that's a little bit of a head scratcher. I don't know why the extensions app's not in there. That's part of GNOME. It, you feel like it should just be there, but it isn't. So I don't know. One thing they did improve, which I think can affect, I didn't run into it per se, but they did start shipping that early um, which is early out of memory. Any of you guys run into that issue? But I, I, I think all of us are pretty much running higher. Yeah, I've got yeah. eight gig on my laptop and I didn't, I didn't get there. I have 32. Yeah, the lowest amount of RAM I have is 20. Yeah, I so I don't know that we would benefit from it, but I will say like I've my kids have a couple of laptops that are maxed out at 4 gigs. Right. And the the whole idea behind early um I really like. If you read up on memory thrashing and and what happens there, especially with the way Chrome works and a couple of other um apps that a lot of people use, the kernel does not handle those things correctly to the benefit of the user. It 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 just doesn't work properly. So the way they're doing it is once you kind of hit this threshold and it's 10% by default, but I believe you can go into the settings and change it. It's going to kill your most hungry apps. So it's going to kill those 85 Chrome tabs that you've got open. If that's the problem, um, which is, which is cool because the problem happens, it just locks up your machine. Right. And it's like, it's like when everybody goes to get in line at the bathroom during this the this seventh the seventh inning stretch or whatever it is right it's it's everybody's going to use the restroom at the same time and there's ten stalls and there's ten hundred people and you just got to wait your turn so that's how the memory is processing it's waiting your turn so your machine locks up this eliminates that it this says hey big guy that had nine beers you're out of here you're kicked out of the game we're gonna make room for all these other guys that just had one beer so that's my illustration maybe it doesn't work at all sorry but takes the ease off of that so if you're running on a low ram machine or you're just crazy and have a thousand tabs open in your browser maybe something you'll benefit from they had a litany of bug fixes but i'm not looking at them it's all behind the scenes stuff it's good stuff bug fixes are i mean i assume bug fixes are good right a lot of bug fixes yeah um so that's it fedora stable not not a big flash in their releases. They in, it seems like they're trying to integrate some very smart things, get you your up to date desktop environment, and then squashing bugs in the background makes it a solid distro. It's why it's been around so long. I will say the upgrade from Fedora thirty one to thirty two was fantastic. I had not a single issue with it. It was the easiest. I mean, my, my heart still like pounded really fast because I was like, oh my God, I didn't back up before I did this. Why didn't I back up before I did this? Um, but, you know, after the black screen goes away, the little fedora spinny thing, it just, it boots up and you're like, what changed? And fedora was like, mm, bug fixes. That, that, that was it. So I, I was very, I was very impressed with the, with the whole process. Nice. 
And that seems to be their MO, right? Is, is they want to keep things stable, uh, simple. That is something I, I saw a lot on the interwebs that was bragged about was their upgrade cycle. It, it is pretty smooth and they, they don't have a lot of issues. Once there. you get it working, then it's good. Yeah. So let's talk about that now. So we've been living with it with for the last two weeks. And how do you guys feel about it? So I've had a very good time with it. I installed the Plasma version on my laptop and it's been... Uh, Cheater. Yeah, I, I know. Well, we've been doing GNOME for a couple of distros now and <laughs> I, I was in the mood for a change. You're right. I, I was in the mood for a change and I really like Plasma and their version of Plasma is well, like GNOME. It's the sugar-free keto diet variety, but... A couple of clicks, and I'm right there where I like it. I can change to, uh, you know, the breeze dark mode. I can, you know, change the application menu with a right click instead of having uh, the normal application. I can just go to the application menu where it's nice and small, like LXQ, just saying. So you basically want to take all the flash away, Dan. I take some of it away, but, you know, you know, you got to turn on the wobbly windows. Oh, that's extra wow. flash. That is surprising, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Getting wild and crazy. I know. And I did change my theme in console too. So I'm <gasps> I'm I'm using cheerful fantasy, Dan. it's called. Joe. And it's who really is nice. this guy? Where is Dan? Somebody <laughs> called Dan's wife. Dan's gone. You guys saw what this, happened. You guys saw my screenshots. Did that not look nice or it looked what? good? We thought that was spam. We kicked them out of the Slack no, group. Yeah. That was I me. I had no idea it was from you, dude. Yeah. That was we me. didn't know who that was. That looked great, didn't it? So uh I don't remember the screenshot well enough to remember if you turned on the blur. I did turn on the blur. Oh and, so good. man, was that good? Wow. I'm telling you, that that's gotta be that's gotta be one of the top features for plasma. Guys, I just want to say we're 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 show three. And Dan is a new man. He is. We have changed lives. We're Oprah Winfrey in Linux. He's going to write a book. All right. So I'll tell you one of the other things I really love about Plasma is K Runner. So you guys try this on your own, right? Click on an empty spot on your desktop. Start typing. Yep. Yep. There's your application right there. You don't even have to go into the menu. You don't have to mash a Windows key. You don't have to do any of that. Boom. There it is. Loving it. So K runner's awesome. Searches, you know, all throughout your system. So it's pretty great. You do need RPM fusion. Hate to tell you, because if you want to watch any video, that's it, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to have RPM fusion. And uh, uh, the Anaconda installer is still the same as it always has been. And it's for me, not the most user friendly because you got a lot of back and forth, it feels like. So, no, I take issue with that. I, I feel like that's not necessarily a bad way to do it, but that might be because I've installed RHEL way too many times and I'm just used to it. But I don't know. It feels like you've got the central location and then you're like, all right, you reach into the disk bag and then you do your disk things and then you come back and then you reach into the keyboard bag and, you know, it's kind of like that. It's it's definitely not the ubiquity installer where you next, next, next through stuff. I will definitely give you that. It just feels back and forth a little bit, but it does force you to do the things that you need to do. So I, in that sense, it really is good. You know, Steam worked well for me. I, I installed that from the RPM Fusion after I got my NVIDIA graphics working so you know that was that was pretty great I, I will i will also say on steam that's what didn't work for me 
Really? Uh, installing it through RPM Fusion, I play a game. Well, it's not even really a game, but it's called Tabletop Simulator. Uh, you can do like D and D card games, all kinds of fun stuff on it. And for some reason, the Steam through RPM Fusion, when I installed that game, I couldn't load any of the assets in one of my friend's games. But then I install it through Flatpak, and everything works just fine. So <laughs> I don't know what the deal was with that one, but uh, yeah, mark that one for weird. How'd you get the Flatpak on there? Oh, yeah, I'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the other the other weird thing for me though was did you guys see that wallpaper? What was that? <laughs> uh. I, I'm now I know I'm not a flashy guy, but that wasn't for me. Just saying, I did change that, and that's that a little good. Miami Vice wallpaper there. Is what I saw. You guys make fun of uh, Linux Mint for the brightness. Yeah, that'll punch you in the eyes too. Right. Well. But you know what? If you go to Fedora's website, you can still see yeah. for many hours after. <laughs> That's true. You go to Mint's website, you basically just got laser surgery. Oh. <laughs> and so for one of the, you, you mentioned the website, and one of the big takeaways for me, it, and it goes back to their focus, which is the community, is the Fedora magazine. Yes. Even if you are not a Fedora user, you need to check out the Fedora magazine because there are some excellent articles written by the community there and i think everybody can benefit from that so big shout out to everybody that writes for that their most recent one was rsync and if y'all don't know how to push files around a network on the command line you need to check out this guide it's so good i'm waiting for warpinator Ah, i'm not moving another file until warpinator is snapped soon i'm sure yeah (laughs) Well, Dan, I didn't have as good of an experience as you had. We haven't got to the other two here, but I did not have a good experience on Fedora. I was really excited to try it because I hear my man Leo all the time Mm -hmm. praise Fedora up and down. Uh, Jason Evangelo praises Fedora up and down. All of these people talk about how great it is, and I just was excited to try it. So starting out with the installer... I'm familiar enough with that type of installer to get around. But, you know, I clicked on the drive where it says, you know, because there's a little spot where you got to click on it to go in and select your drive. So I did that, clicked on the drive, hit next, and it did a little thinking. It came back and had some type of error where little another little orange box came up. So I had to go back in and click on it. Other than that, the installer went fine. You get the setup on reboot just like you do on a on a normal GNOME uh, distro, so that was fine. Updates are through the software center, which is perfect. I'm not sure how I feel about the upgrade and reboot whole type thingy, where you have to reboot in order to get the upgrades. Now, I understand why they do it. I just don't know how I feel. What do you guys feel about that whole idea where you must reboot to install the updates? feels like Windows. I hate it. Absolutely hate it. One of the things I love about Linux is like, you know me, I like if I see the update, it's happening. It's happening. Like, boom, pop, clicking it, boom, running. It might have to update later. Maybe it can't update all the things if it needs a reboot. But for the most part, it just, you know, does. That just drove me nuts. If, if you want that kind of power tool, that's what DNF is for. You can avoid the the whole reboot and update thing if you just run it through DNF. I know that's not what we're talking about, but you can get around it. Well, like I said, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I don't. I just don't know how I feel about it right now. I do like the fact that when you go back in, there's a box that pops up and tells you, "Hey, this is what we updated." 
and you can click on each individual thing and it'll tell you a, a small little blurb about each update. And I think that's awesome because, you know, even though I can't see the updates while they're happening, after they're updated, I at least get told what did actually get updated. So that was great. One one thing that that I think Mint has spoiled me on is you can't decide not to upgrade the kernel or some other package. In in Mint, it's pretty easy. Just uncheck it, you know, easy peasy. But on Fedora, or at least in GNOME, it's you click the button and it does all the things and you don't really get much choice about it uh, unless you do go in and manually DNF this or DNF that. Right. Well, okay, so I have like minor things with that I'm going to talk about first, and that is one, the terminal was not in the favorites uh, as far as when you open the menu. That's not a big deal. But my, I guess my question is, what does that say? What are they trying to say by not putting the terminal in the favorites? Are they going for people who don't need the terminal or... I, I'm just confused on why a distribution like Fedora, which is not something that I would say is a new user distro, would not put that in there because I'm sure a lot of Fedora users use that. I know. Definitely I confusing. I've, I don't, can't remember the last time I was on a distro that I had to jump into the terminal as fast as I had to jump into Fedora to try and make it work with all the things. So that is weird. That's an odd choice. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I didn't even notice it, though, uh, mostly because anytime I need the terminal, it's just, you know, super key tur and then enter. <laughs> Unless you've been working in Windows all week and you start typing in CMD. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Guilty. I didn't have that problem. I'm not, you know, yelling at Fedora because they didn't have terminal. And I just thought it, it just. You're being a little unreasonable there, Rocco, and I'm not going to tolerate that kind of flippity flop out of your mouth, young man. <laughs> Knock it off. <laughs> You speak to your elders the way I. My name is Fedora. I've been around since two thousand and three, son. Don't you talk to me that way. Actually, two. But anyway, distro was three. Community, community, group it's all about was community, two. dude. It's all <laughs> about community. You're right. It is about community. <laughs> all right. So I reboot. Right. I get my phone out because I have to get my phone out to get my stopwatch out now because oh. as I booted up it took 25 <laughs> seconds to boot up it's because you're on an old core i3 right that's an old i3 or uh, uh two gigs core of RAM. Two duo this is an i9-9900k with a, an rx580 it's got 32 gigabytes of ram this was this machine should fl does fly on every distro 25 seconds to boot up I, I got i had the same experience it was it was not fast well, I think, figured maybe it's Wayland. So I checked the little box to do it in X and nope, 25 seconds. <laughs> so No, it's just not fast. All right. I know I'm taking a lot of time up, but I got to tell you about all of these little goofy things that happened to me. So I go to click on system settings and no lie, it hangs for 25 seconds before it opens up. Yep, hit this I too. thought I did something wrong, dude. Like, I, I thought I broke it or something. And then all of a sudden, as I'm going on, I figure, you know, 10 seconds go by. I must have did something wrong. So I start doing something else. I'm going into the menu. And then all of a sudden, boom, system settings pop up. So, yeah, that was another stopwatch as well. I don't mind too much Vanilla Gnome. It's partially set up the way I like it. 
except for the time. I wanted to change it to a.m. p.m. So I go into the date and time and, hey, I can't change the a.m. p.m. because any setting that I change in there doesn't stick. Doesn't matter. I, as soon as I close settings out, I open settings back up and it's it acts like I didn't even change nothing. Now it shows the correct time in the clock on the panel. But if you go into the date and time settings, it has London as the time zone. You click on that to change it. And all I get is a half box where you can't see anything. Like there's, you can't see any other selections at all. So I'd like to say it was my machine, but it's not my machine. It's not. Nope. I had mirrored your experience. And the last thing I'm going to say is the folders in the menu. So like you have, you open the full screen menu, then they have inside the menu, they have little folders where they've collected apps and you open that up and the text, as you scroll to the bottom of it, the text on the bottom row is cut off. Okay. So that's nitpicking, I guess, but that's, shouldn't happen that shouldn't be there well i think Am even I even as what? an unseasoned user you're going to notice that like what what is that stuff if you don't already know what that stuff is so i i'm going to defend fedora on this folders part okay because that is a gnome problem and it is the same on every gnome distro i think except pop i was going to say because it's not on pop and maybe Ubuntu, I can't remember, but I have the exact same frustration with GNOME 3.36. It's the same on Arch. It's the same, like, it's a known thing where you open that folder and it cuts off your bottom row of half the box. I don't know why, but it is, that's an actual GNOME problem. But yeah, it still stinks. So although I was really excited to try Fedora out, the whole hesitation of everything that you whether it was logging in or system settings or whatever, it, it drove me insane until I stopped using it. Well, so on the last thing, we didn't get to the point where we could fix it for you, Rocco, but Joe, I think we fixed it for you. The, one of the big slowdowns was the logging in, whether that is a pseudo command or you know, anytime you hit any, anything that would require authentication, it would just hang. In the, in the terminal, for me, it hung for about 25 seconds, or uh, 10 seconds, and in the GUI, it would hang for about 20 to 25 seconds. And that was unbearable. Like, man, I'm just trying to install some software. Please just give me the box so I can type my password and be done. But anyway, I ended up tracking this one down because I just started looking at the journal. I'm like, something's got to be hanging for it to be pretty consistently this long. So I, I did, what was it, system control dash F. E or X or something. Oh, X, FX. And as I logged in, I noticed it said, waiting on fprint D. I'm like, what's that? And then it said, fprint D, um, something, something crash. And I'm like, huh? And then it said, fprint D, uh, something about timeout. And I'm like, what is this fprint D thing? So I dig in, find out it's a fingerprint reader extension for PAM, a service for PAM. And if you uninstall it, all of this hang goes away. Now, we didn't fix the system settings stuff. It didn't fix any of that. But it did fix the password hangs. So if you're listening to this and you're experiencing tons of password hangs, uninstall fprint D and it will fix you, at least for that. Why should we have to do that? You shouldn't. Right. You absolutely yeah. should not okay. have to do that. And and when I was uh, in 
GNOME and Fedora 31, I didn't have that issue. When I upgraded to Fedora 32, didn't have that issue. But a fresh install, from the first moment, I had that issue. So we, we compared um, we compared my Arch install GNOME to Fedora. Same, we, I think it was the same version down the board. Doesn't have any of those issues. So there's something they're doing in there. Yeah. What, whether it's a security thing, wh- whatever it is, stop it. It's ridiculous. It's driving us crazy. I want to like. I want to like Fedora. I really do. But man, are you making it hard? Well, they're they're from the Red Hat lineage, which means that they do have a bit of a eye on security a lot of times. Sure. But we also mentioned they're you know first in a lot of things. So right. Perhaps they're trying out some of the biometrics. You know that that Maybe is fairly it's a new. new. Patients app. That's it. It's a new patients app. <laughs> it's patients D. That's what it is. It's Patience D. I feel We're going it from that. System D to Patience D, and it's supposed to get me to calm down and relax. That's it. Take a Think breath. Think about your password. Slow down, Joe. Slow the down. Password. You're going too fast. <laughs> so I did both. I didn't mean to do both. What ended up happening was at the beginning of this, um, I, I just scrambled to install Fedora, but you know, obviously, I grabbed Fedora, Fedora, and that was no. I put that on my laptop, and then we had a discussion about it, and it was, hey, Dan and Leo, why don't you do Plasma? And I'm like, okay, and I will totally go and do both. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll redo Plasma on my laptop, and I'll put it on my desktop too. I couldn't let this go, these issues. I couldn't let it go, so I couldn't, I couldn't nuke GNOME off my laptop because I had to keep hammering it away. And I, at least in the time that we had, I fixed the authentication hang-up one. So, you know, I'm one for two, not too bad. But anyway, so I kind of have a weird split here. Most of the GNOME stuff we've already talked about, but I want to talk about Plasma for a little bit. Plasma was so good, man. Yeah, it was. Oh, like it, it is It is. It is vanilla Plasma. But you stick a global theme on there, get yourself a um, whatever cursor you want, because I couldn't, I can't stand the Breeze cursor, but, you know, get yourself a nice cursor. Oh, man, Plasma is really really good. Um, you know, I don't, I don't really have any other first impressions as far as, uh, plasma itself. Cause that's what you're hit with in the face, right? Right. As you, right. As you get started. So I will say something about GNOME though, because Fedora is on Wayland, Firefox is noticeably smoother in scrolling. It, it, just, it blew me away. And this was just, you know, on a mouse scrolling down. Right. And then I did laptop only and realized that they also have that, um, and we were talking about it, and I forget what it's called, but like that gravity scroll where you can flick it and it will go. They've got that where I don't know that any other distro has that by default. They may, I just I haven't seen it. One other weird thing, well, a couple of weird things. ADB, because I use uh, DroidCam to make my camera work on my from my phone. They don't call it ADB when you're installing it. They call it Android Tools. This was just weird to me. I mean, it's it's not bad. It's it's just different. I and it, but it took me a little while to figure out that it's called Android Tools. So there's that, and kernel devel, right? So the development kernels that you need to be able to build software, and I need this for DroidCam. They call it kernel devel instead of kernel headers. So if you install kernel headers in Ubuntu, you get your kernel headers right like you get the development kernel that you use to compile <laughs> yeah. stuff against right you need. yeah yeah 
in Fedora, when you install that, they're like, hey, let me give you last kernel's development uh, stuff. And it's like, wait, hold on, what? Why, why would I want that? I'm not on that kernel anymore. And so you have to go install kernel devel. I don't know. That was weird. I tracked that one down, installed it. But again, it's not bad, just different. You just have to know that that's what you have to do. So weird. Yep. And the other thing. Now, this affects all of them. You can't play like anything by default. Any of the, any of the like MP4s, any kind of video, it just, uh uh-uh. uh. You're just not getting that on first boot. So you have to go in and install like the GStreamer multimedia codecs, or you have to go in and install from RPM Fusion FFmpeg to get Firefox to play right. Uh, Because, you know, on Plex, on Netflix, on Hulu, on anything, if you're trying to just do regular Firefox things, you do have to get RPM Fusion installed, which is, I really feel like that should just be on or at least an easy option right at the very beginning. Well, perhaps if they had a welcome screen that told you if you need that, you could go here and install that. That would be helpful. A hundred percent. Please do that, Fedora guys. I know you're good for it. I know you're good at it. Oh, please. That would be so great. Did you notice there in the GNOME install, this is the first time I've run into this, the welcome videos? Oh, wait, what? Yeah. Did you see the welcome videos? Yeah, I did. Those were great. I thought, this is awesome. They had videos that walked you through like a welcome screen, but it was little videos I haven't seen this. I don't know if it's a GNOME thing. I haven't seen it anywhere else. And you press play and it's like, oh, hey, click here. Do this. Hala. It's got like music. Like, I mean, it's a nice little piece. Like, very awesome. Would I would love it on every distro. It was amazing. Cool. I did not see And then see that's these. where the amazing stopped. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> sounds top notch. It really does. It really was. I thought, I thought, man, this is going to be jam up. Yeah. And then I started using the stuff and it was just jammed up. Yeah, no welcome screen, but those videos were really cool. I didn't see them in, I did not see, they they weren't in the KDE install. I only saw it on GNOME. It is a GNOME thing. Interesting. So I don't know if somebody else turns those off or whatever, but um, yeah, those were really cool. I should stop smacking the X button every time I get a chance, huh? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So one thing I will say, though... Uh, Fedora GNOME gives Google Chrome to you like mm-hmm. really easily. That was way easier than I expected. This is right there. Than anything else? Yep. <laughs> they got this right. I mean, squarely right. But you know what? I broke it. You want to know how? <laughs> so, <laughs> no, because I don't want to break it. <laughs> oh, let me tell you how I broke it. This is so good, man. Because I because I'm a tinkerer, right? Like the first thing I do is not install software. The first thing I do is click on configuration and like play with stuff. So. I go into software and I go to their repositories and it's like, whoa, you have the PyCharm repo, the Google Chrome repo, the NVIDIA drivers, Steam, all this cool stuff. And so I'm like, yeah, I want Google Chrome. Let me turn it on. So I turn it on and then I'm, you know, what do you do after you turn on the Google Chrome repo? You go install Google Chrome, right? Wrong. You fail at doing this now. (laughs) (laughs) So I go to install Chrome. You want to, this is what it tells me. It literally tells me, unable to install Google Chrome, repo already enabled. And I'm like, yeah, because I just enabled it. Yeah, I did that. So I literally had to go back, disable the repo, 
and then install Google Chrome again and it worked. And I'm like, wow. So you got, this was like the most user-friendly thing and I'm not used to that, so I broke it. That just, oh man. Maybe it's a conspiracy that Linux, Mint, and Fedora are getting together. They really don't want Chrome installed. That's what it is, man. <laughs> Something about Chrome and Chromium just trading punches now. You know what? And I wish I could remember now. But I think when you enable that that Chrome, I think it installs it for you. Oh, does I don't it? think you have to go install it. I think that's why you had a problem. Oh. It was already installed. Because I don't remember having to go install it. I think I just enabled it and it was there. Oh. Like, poof. And I go, and it was the first thing I enabled. So then when I went to enable Steam and Steam wasn't there or anything was there, Interesting. I think I was confused. So, so, so it's even more it, user-friendly than I thought. Yeah. I think, but I, I don't know if it was after a reboot or if it was right then and there, but I want to say it was just there. And that, I was really like, man, this is really cool. Oh, how funny. So the the other thing that I had to do though was Flatpak. So yeah. Rocco Joe Flatpak, did you have to did you have to go through the actual manual slog of doing Flatpak? Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've got the command in the show notes just in case you need it. But yeah, you have to go to flatpak.org, go to the step, and then hit Fedora, and it tells you how to do it. But at least it's not blocked. Well, right, right. True. Don't work no fine. empty packages when you do it, by the way, guys. I just, you know, just all the packages are full of software. Episode two never stopped. I didn't have to make two files or delete a pref file or any of that. None nope. of that. Very rare these days where you, you know, files are full of software and files and things. Yeah. Props to Plasma, though. They have a toggle for it. Mm-hmm. You go into mm. Discover, you hit uh, configuration, flat pack, turn it on, done. None of this manualness, nah, uh-uh, none of that. It's because we were on sugar-free gnome. Uh, they should, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, they have to. They better put that in the welcome screen. If, if they don't, I'm just going to be so upset about that. But lo- long story short, I played a lot of games, and this isn't Plasma, I played a lot of games, I did a lot of everything, all of my everyday, day-to-day. Plasma was fantastic on Fedora. The the fact that I had current everything just was nice. The flat pack was there and that was also just so nice. So we we talked about the FRNT thing, so we fixed a lot of that, but yeah, I've I've got a I've got a mirror you Rocco on this whole thing. It, what caught me off guard was when I went to settings and I hit power because I wanted to change my my display timeout. It just 25 seconds, 25 30 seconds. Just Yep. What is no, that? No, I, I want to say, I did the stopwatch, dude. It's 25.2 seconds every single time. It's crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. If you just never open the settings app, remove fprintd, Fedora Gnome is really usable. <laughs> after, after you, you know, there's a few things you got to do. But. I'm sure that they will end up fixing this. There's no so. question about it. But right at this moment, it's very, very frustrating. When was this released? Eh, a month or two ago. April? Yeah. April. A month or two ago? Okay. It's a while. May, June, July. <laughs> we're 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 a third of the way into the cycle for this release. Some people say couple and mean like five. So yeah, couple. Couple months ago. In fairness, we don't know when this started either. This That's is true. true. It may not have started when they first released it. It may have been an update to GNOME or or something else. It may have been a recent update that started this, so Patience D, I'm telling you. It's the, <laughs> the new Simmer down, Joe. Simmer down. Um, uh, look, so I I went into this 
excited. Very excited. I've had Fedora before. It's good. Man, I'm telling you, I wanted to cry a couple of times. Like, it's not this hard anywhere else. And I'm always trying, when I come into these, when we were reviewing this, guys, I'm always looking at it as new user. I'm a new user. What is my experience like? I would never send a new user to Fedora 32. Never in my life. I would have sent them to Fedora 31, maybe Fedora 30. If they had a little bit of PC knowledge, I feel like you can get through it. 32? Like, I couldn't even Google fixes, right? It took us a week to find fixes for some of this stuff. The fingerprint reader. Yeah, that wasn't even a Google. I had to find that out myself. That was you finding it yourself. I did find some things in, like I had to dig and dig and dig. So what was fr- what's frustrating is I realize a lot of hard work goes into this. A lot of hard work. And I, the Fedora project has been around for a long time. And they do good, good work. We've all been talking these past year, two years, about how Linux has gotten good. Like, it's easy. You can just put your dad on it. You can just put your mom on it. And when I was thinking of Fedora, because I hear it a lot of times whispered, in the same category or sentence with Ubuntu and with some of these others that are major and they're also just have ironed out a lot of the kinks. And maybe it's just the nature of being cutting edge. Maybe that's the case. Although I haven't had any problems like this with Arch. (laughs) Not like to this, like if you get it installed, like I, in a long time, like Arch, if, even if you just go to one of the, like the Manjaros or, or any of those, they, they, a lot of it just works. You might have a package hanging here and there, but most times it just works. This was hard. Like nothing I couldn't get through. Nothing, Leo, you couldn't get through. Rocco, nothing you couldn't get through. We can figure it out. We can do it. But when I'm looking at these, I'm looking at like, what if I, you know, what if I recommended this to somebody? And I couldn't. Like if, if Gnome is their, their flagship, Somebody's using this, right? Somebody in the Fedora project is launching up and going to settings and waiting 25 seconds. And then they're trying to type in their pseudo password and waiting 25 seconds. And heaven forbid you mistime it because you were waiting. And most of the time you hit da 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 da. I start typing in my password and then I go, where did I get to? Yeah. And then it fails. That happened to me so many times. Now you're waiting close to a minute, close to a minute to get your password in right just so you could install a package. That's fr- that's just frustrating. And I just was expecting a really good experience. So it really burned me out. Like the first week I was just fighting and I still never got my NVIDIA graphics card working in my laptop. I haven't got it. Didn't, don't have it. It's not, it doesn't exist. I've, I've you know, you, you do the command to show, show your device. It's not there. It doesn't see it. Not at all. It's a 1650 are you sure it's in the laptop? It is in the laptop. You, this is, you did open so it up, got, right? I, oh, yeah. I took out every screw. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, no. So I got some, I did get some helpful recommendations because I was frustrated. And I, I, I wish I knew somebody at Fedora or something where I could really go because I, nobody, I don't want to get on here and say bad things about them. Like, I mean, I know there's good stuff going on, but. Like I got some suggestions from people in the community and they're like, oh, maybe it's secure boot because of this, the boot hole thing. Like, oh yeah. This, I, yeah, I'm not running secure boot because this is my multi boot. I've got 
10 distros that boot beautifully on this XPS 15. Beautifully, no issues. So I don't have secure boot because two of them are legacy. So I can't have it on there. So I don't even have it enabled. So it's not that issue, you know, but it just, and then it's a 4K screen. So I was, I was having trouble with gnomes. I'm like, oh, Leo and Dan had a good time. I'm going to go throw KDE on there. Maybe that'll be my issue. Well, KDE and 4K screen is like <laughs> magnifying, like microscope to, to log in until you get the settings right. And you got to, because now it's, and now because it's Fedora, it's got to boot five times to get, to update all your settings. Like I was, I was just exasperated by the time I got to it. Now I have it running I finally got KD where I wanted it. Just not going to play any games. So I got a $2,400 laptop that I can't play a game on. You know, I got it running on the desktop, which is all AMD. That's fine. It works good. But I was just sad because I really wanted it to be great. I was really looking forward to this and I, I'm not giving up on it. I know they'll fix these issues. I know they've got to be using it. So they must see them. But I just was sad and I'm still sad. Sorry. I'm going to go cry. <laughs> all right fellas moment of truth we've heard how everybody feels about it what are we doing are we nuking and paving this or are we going to let it roll on and rawhide our way into some more fedora well i had an enjoyable time on plasma i uh i may actually keep this around on my laptop well i did not have an enjoyable time on this gnome version but i don't think that's fedora's fault but i probably won't be keeping it on my desktop, I'm keeping Plasma. On my laptop, I might be keeping GNOME just enough to figure out what those kinks are. But it's probably going to get nuked eventually. I'm going to leave it in place because I don't believe it's this bad for me. Like, I, I, I think it's going to get fixed. So I'm going to leave it on my laptop and I'm going to check in on it every week and, and keep fighting with it because I feel like it's a good project and I know they do good stuff and I want to see it. So I'm going to stick with it for a while. Housekeeping. We received a message from one of our listeners. Hey guys, love the show. I'm wondering if maybe you could announce the distro you're discussing ahead of time. I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I would love to follow along each week with the podcast. Let me know. Thanks for your message. We'll try to announce the distro we plan to use ahead of time. And you too can send your questions and feedback to contact at linuxuserspace.show. The Linux community has some fantastic members and we want to make sure to highlight that. In our podcast showcase for this episode, and I have to say, I would feel remiss not mentioning this as we are testing Fedora, we have an original podcast from Red Hat, Command Line Heroes. There are some truly fantastic interviews and I encourage you to give some of the back episodes a listen if you don't already subscribe. For example, last season's interview with Steve Wozniak was excellent. Do any of you guys listen to this podcast? Oh, yeah. It, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's like, it's history in a nutshell, really entertaining. I, I remember they were talking about one of the first uh, woman programmers, and it just, it drew me in, and I was like, whoa. It's just a really good podcast. Well, this is the first time that I've ever listened to it. I listened to that episode that you're talking about, Leo. That was a great story. But mm -hmm. I think what struck me the most about this podcast was that the structure of the show. It has the same vein of storytelling, kind of like Darknet Diaries, if you've ever 
listen to that podcast, which is awesome. It just gives you, it keeps you involved. It keeps you listening to that, regardless of what they're talking about. So I thought it was great. I had a much better experience with this podcast than I had with Fedora <laughs> these last two weeks. That's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, was it Maud? I think her name was Maud. Uh, great story about her. So uh, yeah, give it a listen. Awesome. Good. You love history. I love history. Yeah, it is really, really good show. Yep. Really good stuff. And keep on coding. If you like what you hear on this show, please consider sponsoring us on Patreon. Head on over to patreon.com slash Linux user space. That's patreon.com forward slash Linux user space, all one word. Please follow us on Twitter at Linux user space to get all the latest announcements for this show and highlights for things that impact your user space. We also have a new Telegram group. Please Woo-hoo. join us. Yeah. Please join us at linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram to continue the conversation and find me reading all your messages. And Dan really will read creepy. every single message. I swear, I don't even at him in some of these groups. And then he just swoops in and he's like, here's the info you wanted. And yep. like, what? How did that even happen? Here's how I know it happens. Because I get tagged with, we're going to blame Joe every five minutes in the <laughs> Telegram group. So that's, it's the thing. that keeps me engaged. It's the thing. We were talking about organic stuff. Well, there it is. It's organic. Seriously, I love getting involved with the community. So please come on over and join us. Lastly, don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast application and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. You can always get more information at our website, linuxuserspace.show. This is App Focus, where we focus on the app. On this episode, I want to talk about something that has changed my life uh, for good and bad, because I've resisted using password managers since their inception. I'm going to adjust my tinfoil hat just a little bit. They have their good points and they have their bad points, right? The app I'm talking about is Bitwarden. The good is that they are easy. It has an adjustable password generator, so you can have them, you know, 50 characters long, two characters long, and it can be complex or not complex, uppercase, lowercase, whatever you want. It's got that. But most importantly, Bitwarden has a Linux-first attitude, or at least a Linux-as-a-first-class citizen attitude. They give you an app image. It's just there. It's in the Flatpak repository. It's in the Snap repository. It's everywhere. If you want Bitwarden, it is just a few clicks away, and it's first-class. The bad, though. And this is not just Bitwarden. This is just password managers in general. Unless you take extra steps, losing your master password is worse than losing any single password. And this thing kind of scares me, right? Because that one master password, it's the key to all of your passwords if they're in the Bitwarden locker. And because of that, because you have this app and it's really security focused and everybody's telling you to use it, you get lulled into this false sense of security that, you know, well, as long as I'm using Bitwarden, I'm fine, you know, and so you'll you'll get lured in. The other thing I really don't like about them is that when you log into stuff, you copy, right? Because those passwords are unwieldy sometimes, 
especially when you crank up that security setting. It's like, yeah, buddy, 48 characters. I'll never get it cracked. Yeah, but it's on your clipboard, man. So if you walk away from your computer, there it is in plain text. So there are ways to mitigate this stuff, right? I mean, we're, we're going to talk about in a minute two-factor and all of this stuff, but uh, I decided to try this about a month ago when I heard Dan talking about it. And, and I, I mean, I had already been wishy-washy about this in the first place, but I was like, okay, you know what? I'm just going to start with a couple of passwords that, that I don't really care about. These are ones that, uh, you know, I want to be long, but I don't want to remember them. So I'll just start using Bitwarden that way. Then I put some seed words in there. For those of you that don't know, cryptocurrency wallets, you know. Then I started putting the Linux user space in there. And then I started, and you can see where this is going. Does that mean that Linux user space is part of those ones you don't care about? No, no, that no. What you're see, that, that was oh, earlier, okay. right? <laughs> okay, all right. I care about Linux user space slightly more than those other passwords. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. But I still think about the bad points all the time. I still think about that master password. So I went the two-factor route. Bitwarden makes it super easy to attach something like Authy or the Google Authenticator on it. And that's just another hurdle for the baddies, right? I mean, it. we have this thing in IT security where you have the slider, right? You have easy on one end and you have security on the other end and you got to find some happy medium in between. Otherwise, all your users hate you or you hate yourself. One of the two, right? So... Adding that second factor is really putting it toward the middle for me. But I already do this with my email and a bunch of other services. So why not just add this into the mix as well? So Google Authenticator and Bitwarden together. I feel way better about this master password thing. So I'm not even going to ask you guys if, you, if you're going to use it because I know you all do already. Dan, you said you had two factor. What, what do you use? I do. And so I took it a step further and I actually use my YubiKey as one of my two-factor options. So I have my master password and my YubiKey, or I can use Google Authenticator. So either one, so in case, you know, maybe I left my YubiKey locked away in, in, at home and I'm at work or something. So I can use Google Authenticator or, you know, maybe my phone is, the battery's dead or something. So I can get out my YubiKey and use that. So I have a couple of options there, but it's still two-factor and still two things that I have, which is really important. Hang on a sec. You let your phone die? Not intentionally, <laughs> but, you know. What a rookie. Sometimes I, I'm oh too my, much on I, Telegram. Like, Can't help my it. My heart would hurt so much I if mean, my phone ever died. I would feel so naked. That's what you it's get rough. for all reading all those messages. That's I true. Know. See, that's how you know. So, Joe, you have a YubiKey. You just got one of these things, but you're still working on it? I am. So I'm, I've had a family account with LastPass for quite a while. It's not as easy to switch everyone over, right? So I'm, I'm massaging that migration over from LastPass to Bitwarden. And uh, yeah, I got, uh, went ahead and went the YubiKey route. I got the YubiKey 5 NFC. It seems to tick all the boxes for me. I'm thinking about grabbing a Nano also to oh. keep um, in the in my laptop, which probably isn't a good idea if I think about it, but if I leave it in there and somebody takes my laptop, then right. I have it. But Keys I don't to know. the kingdom. I'm working on how I'm going to sort all that out. I know I want to have at least two YubiKeys because I'm really trying to stay away from Authy and things like that because it's software. And I feel like even though 
Uh, I use iOS. I know some use Android. Even though there's a lot of protections in there, it feels like every day we're hearing about some breach of something. Yep. So it still concerns me. I went, I moved away from, from Google Authenticator because that concerned me to Authy. Now I think I'm going to try and pull as much out of Authy as I can. But regardless, two-factor, real two-factor. So to me, two-factor is not getting a text message on your phone. No. I know that's supposed to be two-factor, but it's... It is it, technically two-factor because it yeah, is a second factor. That, that, that leaves too much too much ambiguity there. So yep. um, I'm really trying to migrate this way. Now, the difficult part I'm going to face is like, my wife's not going to use a YubiKey. Like that's not happening. So I've got to navigate all those things, right? So, but yes, uh, Bitwarden, I hear nothing but great things about. I, I've already created my account. I'm just migrating my accounts over with all my insane passwords that are in there. So trying to figure all that out. But uh, I have the solution for your wife. Just disable two-factor and you're fine. Oh, <laughs> no, wait, wait, hold on. Because what I used to do before Bitwarden was make crazy long unwieldy passwords, but remember them. But I mean, th there's good advice for that, right? Which is just use words. Like actual words. Yeah, a long passphrase. Pick like 10, 12, 15 words. And, you know, we're, we're, we're getting way past what Bitwarden can do. Just you got to remember about a million of them. So maybe that's the key. So this is what happens if we go that route is it's the same passphrase for everything because she's not going to get on this. She's not going to have 10 passphrases. But but she can with Bitwarden and all she got to do is copy, but she oh, has to remember the yes. one master password. It's it's going to be like, I love my kids and their names. That's that's it. Hey, but like, you know what? Be... That's still better than one, two, three, four, five, six, which is number one still on the you know most used all time horrible passwords. Oh, man, I got to go change the combination yep. on my luggage now what oh, confirmed man. me with using this was uh five years ago like we definitely we paid six grand in bitcoin because one of our outside sales reps <gasps> password was password and Ouch. uh they had a vpn connection that we didn't know about and that's an yep. expensive password yeah have you ever paid ransomware you gotta go to some seedy place down i had to go downtown atlanta some seedy like the Bitcoin yeah, ATM hole thing? in the wall. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Yep. Point of sale. Yeah. No. It, yeah. I don't want to go through that again. Well, I love Bitwarden. I've been using it for over a year now. And I have the app on, you know, the computer, but I use the browser extension. Mm -hmm. So I, you don't need to copy it to your clipboard when you're using the browser extension. You go to the website login page, you click the Bitwarden icon, and you click it to enter your password, and it automatically enters it. So it never gets to your clipboard in that sense. It's open source. It's got so many ways to be able to use it on so many devices. There are so many things to love about it. It's almost, you know, like for years, like Joe mentioned LastPass, you're searching for the perfect password manager, and exactly what you had said Leo, was that balance between security and usability. And I think that Bitwarden fits that perfectly because it can configure itself to any of us. So no matter how secure you are or how less secure I may be, all of us can use it and still be more secure than we were before. And I think that's the best thing about Bitwarden. Yep. And, and that reminds me of one thing for those folks that just love to self-host. 
you can self-host Bitwarden. You don't yep. have to use Bitwarden servers for any of this. You've got to run a Docker instance. Easy. You can sync it to a local file. Yep. Absolutely. Now, i got to check out the browser extension. Um, that sounds awesome. Oh, that's that's the only way to go. There's okay. an extension for any browser, it seems like. I mean, Chrome, Firefox, y- you name it. They got it. That's awesome. So now we know. We all use it. Of course, I'm hooked. It's already part of my workflow. I just got to make it even better. I'm hooked, too. I've got it at home. I've got a, a an account for the family. And I have it at work, too. I'm sold. You know, we didn't talk about, I think, one of the awesome features of it. Isn't it like 10 bucks a year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's super cheap. Crazy cheap. I think I... I don't know what I pay for the other one, but I pay a lot more than that. It's like 45, 50, 60 bucks. It a was forty nine ninety five or something like that. Yeah. yeah it's fifty bucks. Wow. A year. So yeah, I'm well, in. Chalk that up for another awesome feature. Yep. Best password manager on the planet, bar none. So Dan, going back to the email that we got about naming the distro that we are going to choose to run for the next two weeks to allow people to follow along with us and use that distro with us. We are going to start doing that. And that's in this section right here. But there's a little twist. Surprise. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) Shake and bake. So we decided that there are so many other topics besides distros that affect Linux user space, affect people in the community. So there's no way that we can fit those discussions in alongside of a distro discussion unless we cut that distro discussion down to something that we're not comfortable with. You know, we want to have a good conversation about the distro. Joe works on the history section of the distro, which is fantastic and then we go into the actual release of it and then we discuss how we've experienced it for the last two weeks and i don't personally i don't i don't know about you guys but i don't feel comfortable cutting that down i think we provide something that you don't get anywhere else by being able to discuss it and uh yeah i feel the same i don't want to cut it down yeah same here i mean the main topic is what we drill into and i think that should stay the same And I think the conversation piece is important because we talk about a lot of things that we just wouldn't be able to if we were on a time constraint. And I'm a big history buff. I know some of you guys are too. And I think it's important to understand where these things come from. So here's the problem. We have a show that we concentrate on distros and that show can last up to an hour, hour and a half. Where do we fit in this other section for all of these other discussions? What do we do? We each start our own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Then we we, definitely blame Joe. That's not where you were going? Okay. All right. Never mind. Well, we could fit it all into one podcast, but I don't think you guys listening would want to sit down for a two and a half hour show listening to it. So what we came up with is every fourth episode. So we're going to do three episodes on a distro. And then on the fourth episode, we are going to talk about topics that concern you guys we will not have a distro discussion on that fourth episode and that is actually the next show so here's our announcement for the next distro we're not having one we're actually going to have a conversation about multiple topics 
that affect you guys. That's the plan. So tune in to our next show about topics that concern you and maybe the next distro that we're going to cover. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for your support. So where can we find you fine folks? I'm at KC2BEZ on Twitter. I'm at Big Daddy Linux. You can find me at Jojo Fett on Twitter. And I'm at Leo Chavez. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space.